Welcome to the Future Female Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Harrop, and it's my mission to help create more female leaders in the workplace. In today's guest episode, I have Lata Hamilton with me, and we are talking about change leadership. Different from change management, how can you be seen as a leader of change in your organization, even in an entry-level role? We're going to cover that today. But real quick, if you have not booked your complimentary leadership assessment call, feel free to do so. The link is in the show notes. I open up time on my schedule each week so I can help you understand where you're at in your career and help provide some complimentary guidance to help you continue to grow to that next level that you're looking for in your career. The link is in the show notes and I can't wait to talk to you soon. All right, let's jump into today's guest episode with Lata Hamilton. Welcome to the podcast, Lata. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. And I always start our podcast with an introduction of how we met. And I was happy to get pitched by Lata's network to have her on my podcast. I wouldn't have gotten connected with her otherwise. So it's always great to, you know, you you get some interesting pitches here and there, but it's always nice when people know the audience and can pitch someone who is going to add really great value. Once I read through her bio and all of the topics that she can cover, I thought I would be silly not to have her on the podcast. So I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Nicole. Well, awesome. I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background, what you've been up to, and maybe a little bit about yourself personally as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're probably right. Like if we hadn't been introduced through our network, then probably you might not have come across me because if you haven't noticed yet by my accent, I am based in Australia. So I do live in Sydney, Australia. And I think that's what's so wonderful, right? About like the world today, the workplaces today, business today, you know, just jobs and and work today is that we can connect all around the world and we don't necessarily have to be like located physically in the same place. So it's really nice to to be meeting you um, even if we've got an ocean between us. So my name is Lata Hamilton and I am a change leadership and confidence expert. I live in Sydney, Australia. A few fast facts about me, what I like to do in my personal life or what kind of switches me on. I really, really feel like I'm a cardio junkie. I love running, swimming, yoga, walking, skiing, like anything where I can kind of get active. I probably prefer, you know, getting outside, getting the heart pumping, the blood flowing rather than maybe I guess like lifting weights and things like that in in a gym. So cardio junkie, but I'm also an absolute foodie. So I just love food. I love cooking. I love eating food. I love like going to restaurants, going to new cafes and probably something as well. Like I, I like supporting new places that have popped up. So since COVID, there's been a, like a lot of new cafes and restaurants that have popped up. So I like going and trying them and kind of giving them my support as well. Help them keep going. So that's, that's always high on my agenda and something that I spend a lot of time doing. And then I'm also an avid thrift shopper. 
So I love going and finding like recycled treasures and I get like a real buzz out of like, you know, finding these like, you know, finds that really suit me. And like even this jumper, this, I guess you'd call it a sweater. This sweater that I'm wearing is actually a recycled treasure. I I did buy it from a thrift shop and actually had the tags still on it. So it was this like really cute boutique brand. And I was like, what? This is a win. <laughs> so, so, so a few fast facts about me, like, yeah, that's literally what I live for. And I really do get a buzz out of op shopping and thrift shopping. Yeah, I'm a change leadership and confidence expert. So I help women carve their own paths for change in their career, their leadership and their life. And if you don't know that much about change management, so change management is like the field that I work in. I love to define things really, really simply. So I just say it's, you know, moving people from doing things in one way in an organization to doing things in a new way in an organization. And we do that through communications, training and business readiness in order to realize the the business benefits of the change. So in order to make sure that we actually get the results that we were looking for and actually get the return on investment that we were looking for. So I've worked on really big changes. I've worked on like with some of Australia's biggest companies on changes that have impacted over 100,000 people. I've worked on major operating model changes that have impacted the jobs of, you know, thousands of people across the country. I've worked in on global cultural transformation, so working with teams all across the world, different offices and different sites, working on their culture internally. And what I love to do and what we're probably seeing a big prevalence of is the digital transformation. And I've worked on changes that are like literally changing the way that we work and transforming how we think about work, how we think about jobs and how we think about, I guess, our role even as leaders leading that sort of change. Because obviously with things like automation, artificial intelligence, we are seeing a lot of those fantastic innovations starting to obviously flow through into organizations, creating a lot of transformation and change in organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have such an impressive background. And I mean, it obviously makes sense to have you on the podcast. And I love what you said about, yeah, maybe not crossing paths otherwise. I mean, maybe eventually we would have met each other at some point. But yeah, it's so fun to get connected through different people. And that is why I am such a huge fan of networking in whatever way possible. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And I think the first question I had for you, Lata, is you talk about change leadership and change management. Can you walk us through the differences? I mean, you just explained change management. Can you explain a little bit or expand on change leadership more specifically. Yeah, absolutely, Nicole. So in terms of like change management, it's still a pretty budding profession. Like it's still pretty new. It's maybe been around for 20, maybe going on like sort of 25 years. And I guess it kind of probably really came up out of those major sort of projects that would happen in organizations. And then it was like, oh, well, if we're managing projects in a more formal way, then we need to also manage the change, like the people, the people side of the project in a more formal way as well. So it is still a pretty new profession. It's probably a bit newer than project management. And so like people often have heard the term or the phrase, or they've heard, you know, like the idea of change, but they might not necessarily know what it is. And obviously there's people who work as change managers. So, you know, I'm, I'm a change manager and I go into organizations and with clients because I, I offer consulting services. So I go into my clients' organizations and I lead change. But you can obviously get a job in change, you can get a contract in change and work in change management and and be what we would call like a change practitioner. 
And, you know, in the past that was very formulaic. It was very kind of like follow the bouncing ball, follow this methodology that was in line with the way that projects were run, which was very planned, you know, very sequential. Um, If you know anything about project methodologies, you know, it was very waterfall. It was like we plan it all. We then, you know, tick off delivering it and then we launch and then everybody's happy. So the change management that could go alongside that could be very planned and very, you know, very kind of just just follow the bouncing ball. We're just going to do it how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. But now, as you probably, like if, if anybody's here working in organizations, which I'm sure that, that your audience is and your listeners are, it's like that's not the way the world works anymore. Like if COVID has taught us anything, but it was even happening before COVID where our changes and our projects weren't necessarily like formally, like they might be formally planned, but that plan often didn't go to plan, right? Like it was often kind of like, Things would change. Like I've worked on projects where like the entire scope of the solution has changed. I've worked on projects that were meant to go for like a couple of months and two years later, I'm still working on them. So like there's definitely this kind of like a lot of pivoting, a lot of like changing of what needs to happen inside. And sometimes you don't have dates to work with. So there needs to be this kind of like more flexible approach, I think. And it's more about having like a toolkit rather than having a formal process that you go through having like a toolkit at your fingertips where you can really start to go, what's going to add the most value to my project, to my leaders, to my teams, to my colleagues, you know, to my direct reports, if I've got some direct reports, like what's going to add the most value right now and having that toolkit and being able to dip in and out and having it be like, rather than like a sequential process, just being able to go, yep, this is the right thing here. And like, you might start with a post-implementation review, for example. Mm-hmm. So I have got a course, it's called Leading Successful Change. And I say this to my students all the time. I'm like, you don't have to start at the start. Like, obviously I teach it sequentially just mm-hmm. because like, it's good to have the background knowledge of later topics to know the earlier topics. But I, I'm constantly saying to them, I'm like, you do not have to follow the process sequentially. Yeah. And then the beautiful thing I think about sort of shifting it from being that really formulaic approach to change is that it opens the change leadership skills up to everybody. So rather than you necessarily being a change practitioner and having this kind of like, you know, like treasure trove that only you've got your hands on and only you can use in a project or in a team or in an organization and it being that really kind of like, you know, like smoke and mirrors, like behind the scenes, like we're never going to tell you what we do kind of thing, but you've got to sign off on it. Instead of it being like that, instead it really kind of, I guess, democratizes change. It means that change skills can be learnt by anybody, used by anybody and applied by anybody. And then everybody gets the the benefits of being able to really lead their teams through change, really helping to improve the experience of their teams. And I guess just, just make it easier because change is very emotive. It's very complex. People's jobs often can be on the line, like even a change where you might not think that it's related to jobs and layoffs down the line it absolutely can like if you're transforming the way something's done in an organization the processes systems platforms used that can absolutely be flow-on effects within the workforce so it kind of just helps any leader and i do get you know people joining leading successful change and like and like women and, and female leaders joining leading successful change who they're not working in change management and maybe they don't even have a plan to work in change management, but they can understand just how valuable the change skills are and they care about people. 
They mm-hmm. care about the experience of people. They care about helping people through really challenging times. And they want to step up as a leader and be that support for people and be that light for people in like what is often really dark times. Yeah. I like what you're saying as I'm interpreting that and as you explain it, I kind of see change management, like you're mentioning of that formulaic step-by-step process, kind of anyone can come in and lead something that's already predetermined, right? You, Of course, people can still fail at that, but generally, maybe your life's a little bit easier because you do have these step-by-steps to follow, whereas change leadership you're mentioning as you know, kind of being a little bit more mindful and aware of what's going on, being observant, seeing, okay, that's actually not working well and being open to challenging different solutions that maybe aren't working. I saw, for example, that I thought was so interesting the other day. I saw a gal, I pulled into my driveway and this gal was working for this city. She had pulled up to the park that's across the street from our house And she gets out of her car and is going through this checklist. And I'm imagining that it's telling her, you know, park your car, turn it off, get out of your car, get these cones. She had to place cones at the beginning or the front and the back of her vehicle. But where the process in my mind went wrong, because I'm sitting in my car and, and watching this happen, she has to take a picture to prove that she took the steps of placing those cones. Maybe someone had gotten in an accident or people weren't following through. So maybe upper leadership says, let's implement one new step of the process to take a picture of the vehicle. But what I'm seeing is the outsider. So for example, the entry-level team members who are, you know, watching these processes happen and these, these specific situations are happening to you. Other people make decisions. You have to then execute them. I was watching it and she had to actually step into the road far enough back to be able to take that picture, which do we see what the problem is here? She's literally putting her life in danger. She doesn't have a helmet on or any sort of, you know, protective wear for her, but she's having to prove that her her vehicle is safe. So I thought that was so interesting and kind of the picture that I had in my mind when thinking about change leadership, where you're kind of recognizing and potentially advocating for change or providing suggestions or feedback of maybe certain processes that maybe aren't working as well. Absolutely. And I think you've really picked up on this one around like the solution being different to the people experience of that solution. And like, from a change perspective, that's what we advocate for all the time. It's like, what a ha- like, it's great that you're building this new system. It's great that you've got this new team structure. It's great that you've got this new process. So organizational change can be, you know, an, like any of those things. It can be anything that changes in an organization. It could be a regulatory change. It could be a new law or compliance. It can be the move to remote work, the move back to the office, a culture change. So like, it doesn't really matter like what the outcome is or what the solution is. What change is always advocating for is great. How are people going to experience that? And then are there things, and then it's almost like retrofitting and reverse engineering. It's like, are there things that we should change in the solution or the process in order to actually make it a better people experience? Or in your case, like safety, like the, the sheer safety of it. And 
a lot of those things really come into the readiness aspect of change management where it's like, you know, lots of people know what communications is and most people know what training is. Where people probably don't maybe know as much is in that readiness component, so the business readiness component. And that's really like, does the business have everything that they need in order to be able to learn and adopt this change successfully and keep doing it successfully in the future, keep doing those new processes in the future? And a really good example of that is like one change that I was working on. It was like new iPads, like new tablets that were going into like trucks for outdoor workers. And the problem with outdoor workers is that they get dirt, Mm. water, chemicals, all this stuff on their hands. So then you can't use a touchscreen anymore, right? So part of like the readiness, you know, while we had the project team that was working on the technical solutions or on the technology part of the change, there's me thinking about like, okay, great, what's people's actual experience, like user experience of this? And it meant that we ended up putting wipes into every truck. Mm. And then part of the readiness, you know, we want to make sure that people keep doing it in the future. We put wipes in every truck, but then we also had somebody who was responsible and a process for making sure those wipes get refreshed, that new packs get put into the trucks on a regular basis. Mm. And that's kind of what we're talking about because so often with organisational change, whether it's being driven by your leaders above you and kind of filtering and flowing down to you or whether it's going, whether you're the instigator of it, maybe you're like leading a change or you've initiated a change. Regardless of that, it's making sure that you can, like it's actually going to be successful. There is this balance between people and results. It's actually not about just delivering the thing, delivering the solution, delivering the new process. It's like, well, how do we make sure that this this is successful now and in the future? So we're always kind of like balancing those, those two things. We don't want to be on like too far onto people where we're not getting the outcomes and we're not like everything's wishy-washy, everything's fluffy. We're just trying to make people feel good. You know, we obviously do want to build trust, but we don't want to like not like not actually move forward, not progress, not get the outcomes. But then... We also want to make sure that we're not sacrificing people, sacrificing their experience and sacrificing their well-being in search of the result, in search of the solution, in search of the go live or the launch. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And how would you say someone could lean into change leadership? Maybe they are in that entry-level position. How can they lean into that to build a transferable skill to maybe future-proof their own career? Yeah, absolutely. I think I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier with like automation, artificial intelligence, like there's been a lot lately around like what that's going to mean for jobs. And what I'd say is like, that's not new news. Actually pre-COVID, like there was a lot of research and a lot of, a lot of like reports like put out by like the World Economic Forum about like, you know, the 70 million jobs that were going to be impacted by technology, digital transformation, automation, AI. So it's not new news really, but for a lot of people, it's finally becoming real. We've actually had quite quite a long lead time and quite a long runway to get prepared for the future of work. But as often happens, like people really haven't been, I guess, probably taking notice of it. Like, you know, some of these reports are from like 2020, like 2015 was one from Australia, 2020 was one from uh, like globally. So like, People haven't really necessarily been, you know, like planning and preparing for what this could mean. And obviously we had COVID thrown in. 
And what I would say is COVID has probably accelerated the pace of technology change. Like there's a lot of organizations and companies that maybe hadn't thought of some of the benefits of being more, being more virtual, being more automated, et cetera. They've then kind of brought in some of those new tools as part of coping with COVID and just getting through. But then now they're finding that A, wow, they're getting actually some great efficiencies. In some cases, they might need to improve those tools or change those tools to get even more efficiencies. But they're also starting to realize that they actually need to transform the way that they think about their business in the future and to actually have, you know, a roadmap of where they're going to go. Because, you know, what what might have been very tactical during COVID, they like now organizations like we actually should be strategic about this and make sure that we actually have, like we're putting things in for a reason and obviously for a return. So we are seeing in organizations like a lot of digital transformation, you know, it might be enterprise resource platforms, it might be automation of processes, it might be using artificial intelligence to take away some of those more menial or repetitive tasks. And so when you see that sort of starting to come in, that's where people can get very worried about like their jobs and about layoffs and about redundancies and like you know, where where are they going to fit into the future? Where are they going to fit into the workplace in the future? And this happens with every type of technology change or, you know, innovation and advancement. Like it's not, it, it's not a trend that we're only experiencing in our generation. Like it happened with every technological advancement. Obviously we're just feeling it because <laughs> it's happening to us now. So what does that mean? It means that like, if you think about it, it's like the skills that maybe a lot of the workforce and maybe even yourself have been using, which might be, yep, I take this data from over here and I put it into this report for my leader, or it might be, okay, I'm going to, you know, put this thing like step by step and I'm going to make sure that it goes to each and every place, or it might be, I'm going to draft this communications, you know, et cetera, like whatever is the tasks that you're doing. A lot of those things that are more menial, more repetitive, that can actually be sourced or completed by technology, those are the ones that are going to be, you know, taken by technology, taken by automation, artificial intelligence. So what that means is that we actually have the the roles that are more higher level skills, the roles that are more leadership skills, people skills, strategic skills, innovation, creativity skills, the skills around, like, I like to think of it as like making meaning how we make meaning from the stuff that's happening around us and how we translate that for people. Mm. So the making meaning side, but then also the the human experience side and like making sure that things are human. And I'll I'll give you a really great example. My partner put into chat GPT, Mm. you know, write a write an article in the style of Lata Hamilton comes out and he's like, make it sound more like Lata. Yeah. So I go, I go over and over his shoulder and read it. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing with my name? So I go and have a read and I just was like, anybody looking at this communication or this article, blog post, whatever, I'm like, anybody looking at it would be like, yep, that's change management. And it, you know, had obviously pulled really stock standard definitions of change management. They're not the ones that I use, <laughs> like stock standard definitions of change management and like really vague, like high level, like wishy-washy statements about change. Uh-huh. 
And I just was like, there's no human element. Like if you read any of my blog posts, any of my LinkedIn posts, there's usually a story. I'm usually talking about examples, like real world, real life examples. And then I also often will give, here's what you can do as an individual. Here's what you can do to put this into practice. Here's what you can do to take action. All of that was missing. Everything that made it more human, everything that made it more like connected with the reader was missing from that. And it's not to say that AI will never get there, but like that making meaning and actually being able to go how like, because people's psychology is so complex and the way that we think, the way that we feel, and then the way that we've got to manage so many different stakeholders in an organization, so many different teams, it's Mm. so complex that like we, we're not at the stage at this time where like technology could do that for us. So yes, you might lose some of the tasks that you might be doing in your role, but if you were to step up and do more of the change leadership skills, you can absolutely stay relevant. You can absolutely keep adding value. And, and most importantly, you can actually help your, your colleagues, your team members, your peers, and maybe even coach up to your own leaders about how they could be approaching things. So it's a really fantastic, like having changed leadership skills at your fingertips is a great way to future-proof yourself because it's like you stop doing the stuff that's tactical and repetitive and that is, you know, easily done by technology and you step up and you get to do more creative, innovative work, but you also get to add value and really kind of focus in on the people side. So if you love people, like change leadership is a, is a beautiful skill set to have. Yeah, I like what you're saying there too, because as you were explaining, you know, the AI and chat GPT, it's never going to capture your lived experience, right? When we both have been talking about examples, a prompt online, unless I had typed that out somewhere, maybe in an article and had it referred to that, it's not going to pull those examples. So As you are growing in your career, I always recommend this to entry-level team members is kind of be that sponge and get really curious about the work that's happening. And sometimes that can be a little bit difficult in remote environments because you do feel a little bit like physically disconnected in the sense that you're not in the workplace, which I felt like there were opportunities where I could overhear conversations and kind of absorb some of that and get curious and let it sink in a little bit and then go ask questions to my leader. Hey, I heard these things. What does this mean? How can I play a part in it and, you know, drive better change and provide additional feedback, that kind of thing. So I think it's a good gut check that you're saying here, Letta, is where are you at in your organization of feeling like you have maybe some form of influence or voice to share And many people think, oh, well, I am at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't have a voice or my opinion doesn't matter. And I always shout it from the rooftops and why I loved working with entry-level team members and so close to the customers is like, if we aren't the voice for them, right? When I give feedback, I think, where does this actually go? Is it into some black hole? I've definitely worked with companies where it goes into a Google Sheet document that pretty much is not touched by anyone. Maybe it's once a year they go in to look at suggestions and maybe think, but don't typically want to listen to the voice of the customer and the voice of 
you know, entry level team members, it's typically what do the most highest ups think in terms of strategy, what their customers want. And that is just not always connected. And the more we can give that feedback upwards makes such a difference. And that kind of is how my interpretation of leaning into that change management is getting comfortable to share, hey, this, I know your intention was this, but it's not landing well with the end users. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars go into new features and have them shut down like that. We've, I think we've all seen it in, you know, online when people are saying, oh, this new feature, and then quickly they roll it back because they are like, oh, wow, the people did not want this thing. Wow, like where was the disconnect here? And so often it's because higher leadership isn't getting that feedback from some of the most vital key people, which are the entry level because they're the closest connected to the customers. Mm. You're absolutely right. Those those channels of feedback and then you know, if we're thinking as well from an organizational perspective, like there's obviously the financial perspective, like you mentioned, say a feature is launched and rolled back. And then like, well, what was the point, right? Like there's no return on investment there. There's no business benefit there. Even the customer, unfortunately, doesn't end up getting the benefit of this, this great feature. And so like from a change perspective, you might even just go like, it's not the feature that was the problem. It was how we communicated the feature. Or it's how we helped people get from what they're currently doing, like the process they currently use, to using this new feature or this new process. So sometimes it's not even about the the feature is still the right thing to have done, but because the change part was missing, that's why it's being seen as a failure. Then those feedback channels, because you're absolutely right, like it's like the teams on the ground are the ones that are living that experience every day. They're the ones that are, you know, like in stores, on the phones, you know, answering answering customer queries um, and they actually end up often being like the bulk of the workforce too so they also have even if they're more junior in the organization maybe they don't have the level of authority or the level of seniority in the organization they're a massive pool of people and just the the sheer collective energy of those people and how those people are feeling can absolutely drive how a culture of an organization is perceived and experienced and felt. Mm. So it's like those channels of feedback that you talk about really help to build that organizational trust and to and to help build the ability for everybody at every level to learn and grow and continuously improve. So there is like, especially for say like more junior, like, like employees who might be like aspiring to leadership, like you are not powerless. You can totally coach up. And we have like, like I have coaching calls with my students and I say this to them because like they're experiencing it sometimes with their project manager, their sponsor, um, you know, like some executive or leadership team within the organization. And they're like, you know, I can't, cannot get them to understand how much of a risk this thing is. Mm-hmm. I cannot get them to, to come on board with my ideas and my plans or, you know, like they're just not as mature. Like, you know, sometimes people do get promoted. Actually, a lot of, a lot of people get promoted into management, not because they ever wanted to be a leader, but because of technical skill. So they knew how to do some stuff because of tenure. So they've been there a long time. Or because of nepotism, like they know somebody who has put them in that position. They might not have even ever had a desire to be a leader. 
and to actually have direct reports and to lead and manage people. So they might be list, like missing those leadership skills. They might be missing that idea of that holistic experience and actually being able to accept feedback, be, like being able to invite feedback, accept mm -hmm. feedback. And then you don't have to do everything with the feedback. You might choose, yep, great. Thanks for your feedback. We're not going to follow through on that. And this is the reason why, or yep, with great. Thanks for that. We're not doing that yet, but here's, it's going to go onto the, into the pipeline and maybe we'll revisit in the future. Like you don't have to actually accept or not accept, but like actually action every piece of feedback that you get. But that in and of itself is a maturity, right? Like that's a maturity for a leader or a manager or a senior leadership team to have. And what I'd say is like not all leaders and leadership teams actually have built that leadership skill and that level of maturity. So you can be in this really fantastic position of, of influencing up, coaching up, sharing, sharing some of those tools, some of those processes, some of those skill sets and helping to shift the experience, not just for you as an individual, but then also for your peers, maybe even your customers, clients, community, and then also probably improve the experience for your manager too, because mm -hmm. sometimes they're, you know, struggling to keep their head above water and they don't want anybody to know that they don't actually feel like maybe there's a bit of imposter syndrome coming in, or there's a bit of like you know, a lot of reactive ego coming in. They don't want anybody to know that they actually feel like they're flailing. So, I mean, obviously it's a very delicate conversation to have, but as you know, when with change leadership skills, often it is about presenting information in different ways, connecting with different personality types, knowing how to switch on different people and understanding what the best way is to communicate, influence and help them make decisions. Because like with change leadership and change management, you never really have authority. Often you're not like leading the project or leading the team. Often you don't even have, sometimes even have your own budget. You don't necessarily, like you have a seat at the table, sometimes grudgingly. <laughs> Like, like people are like, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> so you've got to kind of almost like be able to pitch and present yourself. You need to be able to explain the value of change management and the value that you bring to the table, why it's important for you to have a seat at the table, start adding value really quickly and deliver some quick wins so that people are like, oh, I understand why you're here and, and, and what you can bring. And then it's a constant process of influence. It's mm. a constant process of like help it, like helping to lead people down the garden path of why the experience of people is going to create a better result. And you might, and it's not like you just do it once and then boom, the project's on board, the stakeholders on board, the senior leaders on board, and you never have to do it again. No, no, no. It's like constantly <laughs> like gentle nudges, as we like to say, it's like gently nudging in the right direction, planting seeds you know, early on that you, that you know you're going to need later on, but maybe you don't want to overwhelm people or scare people too much at the start. So you just drop a seed and then in three months time, you're like, oh, have we thought of? And then that also helps them to think that the idea was theirs as well, because they have had that time to mull it over and to let that seed like take, take root and grow. So there's a lot of like influencing skills involved with change. It's very complex. It's very emotive. There's a lot of confusion often around who does what and why they do it and what people's roles and responsibilities are, including senior leadership. And then obviously a lot of that flows and trickles down to the teams who can feel like they don't have a lot of impact, but really great change 
really great people leading change and really great leaders will always invite that feedback, invite that input. And what I always say is co-create and Mm co-design the change so that people feel they have that sense of ownership, that sense of empowerment around themselves and their future. Because that's why people get so scared of change because they feel like the power's been taken out of their hands, that they are at the whims and at the mercy of other people and other decisions, you know, like groups meeting behind closed doors, which is, you know, often the case, and that they just don't know what that's going to mean for themselves. So it's about putting the power back into their hands, giving them a little bit of power back, even if that is simply inviting feedback. Yeah, I like what you're saying because it sounds like it's it goes back to the simple concept of that influence versus power. And oftentimes entry-level team members may not feel like they have power, so they don't share feedback. They don't, right? They might think, oh, what's the point of, you know, advocating for this thing? Or at what point does it become big enough? So I like what you're saying here is you have a voice, share it as at any level, provide that influence with the it, those lived experiences, again, of those customers, clients, whoever is who you're interacting with and advocate for them through the company. And that helps you to be seen as that leader. And I think you kind of answered this next question in terms of you know, can you really be a leader without having team members or direct reports? And it sounds like yes. So my question is, how would someone in that entry-level position start to transition or start to make change? Someone's listening to this episode and they're thinking, oh crap, like maybe I do need to make some changes here on how I advocate for others who are maybe you know, less seniority than me, less tenure, maybe it's for their customers. Where would you recommend they start? I think it's probably about really building your own confidence because like you can have all the tools, all the templates, all of the techniques at your fingertips. Like, you're, you know, you can have the whole toolkit with you, but if you haven't built your own internal confidence, if you don't know who you are, the value that you bring, what you want and what you're worth, it's like you won't be able to go in and hold your own in those conversations or you won't be able to, you know, like take your leader aside and have that have that open and honest conversation. Or in some cases, you you will not have the clarity or the, the trust in yourself to maybe leave an organisation that never puts the customers first, that doesn't care about the lived experience of the people that they're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. And maybe that actually isn't the right place for you. And so maybe it's the right thing for you to actually find an organization that does truly align to the way that you feel and to the experience that you want to, and the impact that you want to create in the world. So it's like, for me, it's like everything starts from that, like that place of internal confidence, because when you step up as the leader that you know that you have the potential to be, that's when other people follow you. So even if you have no direct reports, like I've never put my hand up. I've never had a direct report in my whole life. I love it that way. I actually love it. I don't get stuck on administration. I don't get stuck on all of the people processes. I don't have to like do any of that side of management, but I get to have all of the influence and all of the leadership qualities and skills. You know, I work with boards. 
I work with executive teams. When I worked as a contractor in change management, I would work with like project teams on massive projects. I would be leading projects. I'd be building capability for the for people in the team. I'd be building capability for my own peers in change. Like I was able to step up and be that leader, even if I wasn't necessarily a manager. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you don't need the title to give you that confidence. That confidence comes from a different place. That confidence comes from you really understanding, like, you know, I have a five-step career change formula and like step number two is remember your worth. Mm-hmm. And part of that is actually about listing your light, listing all the things that you're great at, all the things that you love doing, all the things that like all the feedback, the incredible feedback that you've gotten and keeping a folder of that, you know, in your inbox or on your on your desktop and making sure that you kind of reflect and you've got a list of all of your achievements and all of your accomplishments and all the times that you stepped up. And really building that sense of internal trust in yourself, that sense of internal worth and remembering what an incredible and amazing, you know, ambitious, results-driven, caring, compassionate person that you are. And that the fact that you are that person, it's like, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. And it doesn't matter where you end up, you're going to be okay. And having that internal confidence means no matter if change is coming to you or if you're having to lead change, you will always be coming from a place that's authentic to you and you'll be able to have that light within you, that energy that you bring that has other people believe in you, trust you and follow your good advice, follow your great, like, you know, put into practice your great ideas and follow you into the future. And so like, for me, it's like, so so much of the time people are like it was your energy like yes the things that you were saying were great (laughs) but they're like it was your energy that had me believe in you like that's not something that you can necessarily see on a piece of paper in black and white text Mm -hmm. that's something that people feel and they feel it because it started with you it started within you so that would be the number one thing I would say is build your own internal confidence there's definitely tools and techniques out there to do that but when you when you start leading change from that place, then you can bring in the tools, the techniques, the templates, the toolkit. You can start to actually, you know, practice those and put them into place and, and get to confidence and mastery with the tools. But you're you're doing all of that from a foundation that's internal. Yeah. I love that because when I was thinking again while you were speaking. I hope that when people are listening, they get that feeling when we're talking about change and, you know, for this conversation specifically is, you know, how do you be seen as a leader during change and transition and all these things? And some people out there might be worried about, you know, is AI coming for all of our jobs? But what you said right there, Lata, is that, you know, internal feeling that you get, like those warm fuzzies when you can buy into someone else's mission and vision. And I I just don't see AI being able to do that. Maybe maybe years and years down the road, but I love what you're saying. And I, I hope people are able to apply these techniques and suggestions and recommendations that we've talked about today into where they're at right now. Instead of being scared of change, it's going to happen regardless. So how can we embrace it in a way that is authentic to ourselves while also growing our confidence, 
So something around AI might be learning more about it. If you feel like your job might be threatened by that, what about utilizing it to, like you said, automate many of the tasks that are tasks that take a lot of your time, right? Data entry or, you know, pulling certain reporting and making it go into some sort of bigger report that then helps you to make decisions, right? It's the data that we get and then our overall knowledge to then make those decisions and working with that internal confidence can help us know we are choosing to head in that right direction. So, so many great tips. Is there anything else that you want to share and how can people get connected with you and these amazing courses that you offer or to potentially work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Like I would, just the last thing that I would share is just change is not scary. Like change is actually such an incredible opportunity for you, for the people around you and for the world as a whole. And if you can be the one who helps to transform the experience of change for other people, like it's such a, it's such a beautiful and magical thing to be able to do. And it all starts from being able to transform the experience of change for yourself, being able to change the meaning of change for yourself. So you can absolutely come follow me on LinkedIn. I'm under Lata Hamilton and I should probably be the only one there, I would say. (laughs) And should definitely come and grab my free, I've got like a free underpaid and overlooked coaching action guide. So if you're looking to have like a pay rise, a promotion, a career change, or just build that confidence in yourself. Like it has all like my five-step career change formula and all of these like practical things that you can do to actually really start to, to build that confidence in yourself and to be able to go like, what is it that I want? Step into your own vision for yourself and for your future. So you can download that. It's at www.lartahamilton.com slash worth it because you are worth it. And then when you're ready to step up into your leadership and your light, come join us on Leading Successful Change. We would love to have you with us. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lata. We just scratched the surface of this idea of change leadership. So I know you have so much more to offer within your courses and would highly recommend anyone to check it out. And thanks again for hanging out with me today. Thanks so much, Nicole. It's been fantastic. What a great episode with Lata. I hope you'll connect with her on LinkedIn. Everything she shared today was extremely helpful in regards to how you can be seen as that change leader in the workplace. Now, change leadership is something that is ingrained in all the different aspects of what we cover in the Future Leaders program. So if you are ready to start preparing for your future leadership role today so you'll be prepared when you get promoted you're going to want to check out the future leaders program information can be found at www.hellogrovio that's g-r-o-w-v-i-o.com slash details and i will also include a link in the show notes all right until next time we'll see you later